Please turn to the Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Text is verses 12 to 14. The Song of Solomon, chapter 1. 12 to 14. While the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard sendeth forth the smell thereof. A bundle of myrrh is my well beloved unto me. He shall lie all night betwixt my breast. My beloved is unto me as the cluster of campfire in the vineyards of Engedi. As I stated this morning, my desire of preaching today was to address the unbeliever in the morning and the believer this afternoon. I want to preach on the theme, Fellowship with Christ. A believer is not simply someone who's declared legally righteous in the sight of God. We are, and it's wonderful. A believer is not simply, simply someone who's been forgiven all their sins. And we have, and that is absolutely amazing. But this is a means to an end. The end is fellowship with God. We have a participation, a shared life, a receiving, a giving, a relationship with Jesus Christ himself. He is a person. We are persons. We're to know one another. We're to speak to one another. We are to love one another. And if you are a Christian, you know Christ. You know him experimentally, you know him really. A husband who says to his wife, she was born in this town and she's this age and she has these uh, particular hobbies and interests and that's all he knows. It's not really a marriage, is it? A marriage is when you know each someone. You care, you love, you relate, you speak. You're with one another. And so the believer's fellowship with Christ is likewise. We don't simply know about him, certain facts. But we have a real, vital, shared life with Jesus Christ. And this shared life has its ups and downs. Nothing to do with him everything to do with us. You have a season where everything is sweet and wonderful. When you pray, it's vital, it's warm, there's freedom, there's liberty. When you open the Bible in your Bible reading, truth just jumps out and thrills your soul. You come to worship, you're transported from Fairfield, Texas to heaven and you're truly with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
And then there's other times. Press cold. It's like a shot in the dark. Read your Bible. Just words on a page. You come to worship. It's just routine. And you go home. And nothing is really different. So we have seasons. So I want to ask yourself. What's your fellowship like with Christ right now? I'm not asking you what you think your fellowship should be. That's the ideal what you want to get to be. But in reality, real life, how is your fellowship with Christ right now? We all need to have a regular check. In some states and in my country, you must have a a vehicle check every year to make sure your vehicle's in good health and safety. We have annual health checks. It's good to have a regular spiritual check. So check the spiritual spiritual test. Where's the heart? How is your fellowship with Christ? To help us do that, I want to come to the Song of Solomon. This, as you know, is a book that speaks of typological figures fulfilled by Christ and the church. We have Solomon, who is the giver of peace, and the Shulamite, who is the receiver of peace. And throughout this entire book, there is a receiving and giving, a sin, repentance, return, interrupted fellowship, restored fellowship. And I want to look at verses 12 to 14 to help us renew our fellowship with Christ. And we begin in verse 12 where it says that the king is sitting at his table. The scenery here is very simple. There's a royal banquet. King Solomon is sitting at his own head table, eating, drinking, feasting, fellowshipping. The Shulamite is present at the table. She is so impressed by the presence of the king, she takes a bottle of perfume and she pours that perfume upon the king. In other words, the king is present, she's absolutely thrilled by his presence, and she opens up her heart of faith, love, joy, admiration, and adoration. There's a wonderful historical illustration of this in 1 Kings chapter 10. The queen of Sheba has heard the fame of Solomon, his wisdom concerning the name of the Lord. Isn't he great? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he glorious? So she says, I want to find out for myself if this is true. So she travels north all the way up to Israel and finally she gets to Jerusalem. It says that the Queen of Sheba communed with Solomon and she opened up her heart to him. She asked him deep, difficult questions. And the wisdom of Solomon poured out and answered them all. He then takes her to see the food 
and the servants and the palace and then the house of God. And then it says literally, there was no more spirit within her. She was so impressed by the wisdom and the glory of the king, she fainted. She was amazed. But here, we have one greater than Solomon. We don't just have someone whose name means giver of peace, but he is the one who gives us peace with God. We're not speaking about someone who is a king, but Jesus is the king of kings. We're not referring here to someone who has received the wisdom of God, but he is the very wisdom of God. And so Jesus Christ is the king in whom our souls ought to be impressed by. But what is it that should impress our souls? Well, let's summarise it in a word. There's one word that's used to summarise the impressiveness of monarchy. Majesty. Majesty. Is that not true? You go to any nation, past or present, when there is a monarchy, there's one word used most of all. Majesty. You go to my own nation, you would refer to the king as his majesty. You go to another nation where there's a queen, her majesty. Psalm 45, verse 3. Speaking of Jesus Christ's kingship. O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. Majesty. What does it mean? Majesty. Well, here's the dictionary definition. Impressiveness due to dignity, glory, and beauty. There is none more majestic than our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of his dignity. <coughs> Who is he? There is none higher. He is almighty God himself. He is the most high God. He is the one who inhabits eternity. And as he even humbles himself in the incarnation. As the son of God unites to himself. Humanity. What is his name? Well what did we read in, in Matthew chapter 1? He shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And as our Lord Jesus Christ is exalted, what is his dignity right here, right now? He's exalted. Far above all principalities and powers, things visible and invisible, kings and queens and monarchs and governments, angels, he is far above them. This is his dignity. And he is majestic. Think of his glory. Hebrews 1.3 He is the brightness of the Father's glory. Consubstantial. Everything that the Father is, he is. 
He's not like you and me, created, finite, temporary, decaying. He is eternal, infinite, unchangeable. He is incomprehensible. He is perfect and boundless in moral excellency. He is the Lord of Psalm 89. The heaven shall praise thy wonders, O Lord. For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? None. And in his incarnation, what do you behold? You behold the glory as of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. And though his glory was veiled from a time, there's a little unveiling, is it not, in the mounts? Peter, James, and John go on Mount Tabor, and then their glory is revealed, the curtains pull back, face shining like the sun. The radiance of the splendor of divinity shining through his clothing bright like lightning. And then when he is exalted on high, O Stephen, O Stephen, you're about to be martyred. O Stephen, when you're about to be stoned to death, what do you see? I raise my eyes to heaven and I beheld the glory of God. O John, tell me what it was like on Patmos. Tell me what it was like when you were in the spirit on the Lord's day. What did you see? I saw him. His eyes were like flames of fire. He was like gold and jasper and silver. And I fell down as if I was dead. And what's the second coming of Christ going to be like? Matthew 25, 31. He will return in his glory with all his attendants, the angels serving him. There is none like our king, impressive in his glory. And what about his beauty? There's no one more beautiful than him. Psalm 45. Thou art most fair. Thou art most beautiful than all the sons of men. What does beauty mean? Jonathan Edwards defines beauty for us. Beauty consists in the perfect balance and proportion of diverse excellencies. In Revelation 5, here's the line of the tribe of Judah. And at the exact same time, he is the lamb slain for our sins. Jesus is the king and ruler of the entire universe. And at the same time, come to me. Come to me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. He is the holy, holy God who hates sin. 
in the exact same time. He is the one who loved me and gave himself for me. He is the righteous lawgiver who by no means clear the guilty and cast sinners into hell. In the exact same time, he is full of mercy and he saves such sinners. There is no one, no one, no one as beautiful as the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is, the majestic Jesus Christ, our King at his table. What's a table? A table represents fellowship. That should be obvious to us. What are we doing out there? We're not just eating, are we? You're eating and you're fellowshipping. You're talking, you're sharing. Psalm 23. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. And we have fellowship with the king at the table because of the gospel. You remember the parable of the king in the banquet in Matthew 22? Where the king has provided everything. The table is set. It's filled. There's a feast. You don't need to do anything. You don't have to contribute anything. The invitation goes out. Come to the table and eat. That's the gospel. Righteousness for justification. I've provided. Grace to enable you. I provide. Sonship. To enter the family of God, I provide. Holiness, I'll give you my spirit to sanctify you. Anything and everything you need for good news, for eternal life, for everlasting salvation, I provided it on this table. And that's the basis that we have fellowship with this King. We have fellowship with this king because he himself has provided it all. And therefore we've come. Who's at the table? Verse 12, the Shulamite. She's there. How did she come? By cords of love. Chapter 1, verse 4. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. It was the king who brought her. Chapter 4, sorry, chapter 2, verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house. And his banner over me was love. Yes, you have a personal responsibility to believe in Christ, accept the gospel, but the only reason you're able to is because he brought you in love. He sent you his spirit in the word of God. And the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin because no man can come to me except the Father by the Spirit draws. And the Spirit showed you how sinful and wicked and depraved you are. 
And the Spirit says Christ loves you and gave himself for you and marries you in the gospel. And by his sweet love and grace, he drew you to the banqueting house. He drew you to the table. And now and forever, you are acceptable in the sight of God in the beloved. So you pray to God, he accepts. You worship God, he accepts. You'll stand on judgment day. He accepts. Because the king has brought you to his table. Now what exactly is the Shulamite doing here? My spikenard sendeth forth thereof. Spikenard is ointment or perfume from a North Indian plant. She cracks open the bottle and the perfume fills the place and is towards the king. Do we not see a prophetic fulfillment of this in John 12? Do you not remember Mary of Bethany? Do you not remember they're at the the house of Simon, they're eating, they're drinking, they're feasting at a table? And what does Mary of Bethany do? John 12, 3 Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odour of the ointment. Mary was saying, I love you with my whole heart. I adore you with every ounce of my soul. And because you have come to die for my sins and be raised from the dead, I give you everything I have. This is referring to the believer when he or she is filled with the Spirit, is conscious by faith at the majesty of being in the presence of the King and you give your whole heart in worship. Is this you right now? In your Christian walk, in your devotional life, in your prayer time, in your Bible reading, in family worship, in your meditations, and in your public worship, what's your heart really like? Is your worship all orthodox but without the soul? Is your worship Agree you give your whole heart, but you're not actually giving your heart. Or are you truly giving him everything? Our problem is we get distracted due to sin. Everything becomes a routine. Familiarity breeds content. We know we should prepare for worship. But the best we do is read a few verses and think we're prepared. And the heart's anything but prepared. When we come to worship, private or public, and the whole heart is not filled by faith with love for Christ, 
Christ often withdraws his presence from us. Turn to chapter 5, verse 2. I sleep, but my heart waketh. Twilight zone. Not alive, not vibrant, not awake. I sleep. Solomon comes and knocks at the door. Open up. Let's have fellowship. What does it say in verses 3 to 5? I'm tired. I've already washed my feet. If I get out of my bed, my feet are going to get dirty again. And she doesn't get up. Then she realises she's done something wrong. So she gets out of bed. She goes to the door. And what does she find? Christ has left her. Verse 5. I rose up to open my beloved and my hands dropped with myrrh, with fingers with sweet smelling myrrh upon the handles of the lock. I opened up to my beloved, but my beloved had withdrawn himself. We've been easygoing, we've been lazy, we've been slothful, routine, regular routine, and Christ withdrawn himself. Is that someone right here, right now? Now, how does she recover? Well, from verse 6 and beyond, she seeks him. She seeks him in the city, but she can't find him. She goes to the ministers represented by the watchmen. She can't find him. And then she goes to the daughters of Jerusalem, fellow believers. And they ask this question, What is thy beloved more than another beloved? Why are you seeking after him? What's so special about him? She responds, My beloved is white and ruddy, the cheapest among ten thousand. His head is as most fine gold, his locks are bushy, his mouth is more sweet. He is altogether lovely. I'm seeking him because he's the most lovely one you'll ever meet in your life. Chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, renewed fellowship. He, she finds him in the garden and again there's love. This teaches us, when we're like the Shulamite, we sleep but the heart wakes. We're true believers, but we're spiritually not in the right place. Everything is routine, everything's regular, you're going through the motions, it's all in the head and it's not in the heart. Christ withdraws. And we are to seek him with the promise we will find him. And how did she seek him? She filled her mind again with descriptions of who he is to her. And as she filled her mind with such wonderful meditations, Christ returned to her fellowship. And so this afternoon, we want to meditate on who is Jesus Christ to us, so that in reminding ourselves who he is, he would return in fellowship and our love would be set on fire. Now, who is our Lord Jesus Christ? <coughs> Chapter 1, verse 13. A bundle of mirth is my well-beloved unto me. He shall all night lie all night betwixt my breasts. 
He's my well-beloved. He's the one I love so much. This should be the language of your soul. This should be the language of your speech. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, anathema. It didn't say if any man does not believe in Jesus Christ, anathema. Though that's true. It says if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. And let's forget this modern reformed idea that sort of separates love so far from emotions there's no emotions in the Christian life anymore. Nonsense. Love is an emotion. Is it more than an emotion? Yes it is. It's more than an emotion. But it's not less. And if anyone does not have an affection For the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the evidence, not only an unbeliever, but under the curse of God. So do you believe in Jesus Christ? I hope you do. Now answer this sincerely. Do you love Jesus Christ? And I hope you can say yes. I bewail the fact I don't love him enough. I see my sin and I know my reasons why I'm not loving him enough. And I truly pray that I would love him more. But in my heart of hearts, I can say with sincerity, I love him. What you want to do is fan the flames of that love. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved to me. A bundle just means a box or a bag. Myrrh is, again, a costly, expensive perfume from Arabia. And the believers simply say, not allegorizing the text, but simply keeping the text in its context, my beloved is very precious to me. And we can see in the New Testament with the use of myrrh how precious Christ is. In Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men come to the son, the child, what do they give him? Matthew 2.11, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child and fell down and worshipped him. They're adoring him. And they opened their treasures, gold, frankincense and myrrh. They wanted to express through the worship of the son, how much they adore him and they gave him more. John chapter 19, verse 39. Um, Nicodemus has been a secret disciple. He's not publicly come out yet to profess Christ. But once Christ is dead, he will not have his body just thrown away into the fire. Joseph Arimathea takes it. And says he will go to my grave. And Nicodemus or Joseph Aramea, Arimathea anoint him. And what's the Lord's body anointed with? They came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, a hundred pound weight. His body is too precious to be thrown in the fire. And so I will anoint the body with myrrh 
And that's how precious he is to me. When you remind yourself how much, how precious Jesus is to you, he will be your well-beloved. Think about his person. First Peter chapter 2 says, Unto you therefore who believe, he is precious. Everything about him is precious. William Plummer was one of the great American Presbyterians. In his book called The Rock of Our Salvation is an introduction. And in the introduction, he just wants to extol how precious Christ is. So he uses Bible titles and names and descriptions of Jesus A to Z. Here's a summary. He is my advocate with the Father, the author and finisher of my faith, the shepherd and bishop of my soul, my bread of life, my creator, the captain of my salvation, my covert from the tempest, my door to eternal life, the day spring from on high, my deliverer, my Emmanuel, my everlasting righteousness, my fountain of living waters, my God, my governor, my head, my hope, my husband, the horn of my salvation, my inheritance, my Israel, my Jehovah, my King of glory, my light, my life, my Lord, my Lamb, my mediator, my messenger of the new covenant, my new birth, my Prince of peace, my propitiation, my rest, my refuge, my redeemer, the seed of the woman, my shield, my strength, my truth, my treasure, my way, my well of salvation, my wonderful counsellor, my Zion. This is who he is to us. And think how we're not redeemed by gold and silver, but the precious blood of Christ. And what is that blood? Divine blood. Acts 20.28 Who purchased the church with his own blood? The church of God. Who shed his blood for the church. Because the he of Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ is not a human person. He is the divine person united to a human nature. And so the person who died on the cross is God himself. The Lord of glory was crucified. And think about our union with Christ, how precious that is. Alexander Henderson, that great covenanter, he says there are only three indissoluble unions. Because every other union ends up separating. The union of body and soul separates at death. The union of man and woman separates at death. But there are three indissoluble unions the first union is the union of the trinity and the godhead never be dissolved the second union is the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ the divine nature will never ever be but united to the human nature even when Christ died his human nature remained united to the divine nature but the third union that can never be dissolved is the union that exists between Christ and his people. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And so his union is so precious. And when you think about the preciousness of Christ, what is the result? Verse 13 again, brethren. A bundle of myrrh is my well-beloved unto me. He shall lie all night and twixt my breasts. Closest. Think of the apostle of love in the upper room. In the bosom of the Saviour. Now think when Christ ascends on high and is not physically present. Ephesians 3.17 Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. He lies all night in my bosom. So when you are conscious day by day by day of the preciousness of Christ, he will dwell experimentally in your heart by faith and you will be filled with love and when you come to the word and prayer and fellowship and worship your spikenard will send thereof all the adoration of your soul but the second thing who is our saviour is in verse 14 my beloved is unto me as a cluster of campfire in the vineyards of Engeri. A cluster of campfire. Campfire here is some kind of blossoming plant or tree. Some people say the, the henna bloom. Some say the cypress tree. We don't know what it is. All we know is it's an um, Abundantly growing plant with fragrance. It is located in the midst of vineyards. So vineyards have to be planted in a very fertile soil. Now where is this abundant blooming tree or plant? And these vineyards in fertile soil. In Engedi. And Gedi is near the Dead Sea. And children, guess what grows in the Dead Sea? Nothing is dead. And think of all the soil and the land around the Dead Sea. What sort of trees and plants grow in the Dead Sea wilderness? Nothing is dead. But not in Gedi. It's an oasis in the midst of the wilderness. I encourage you tomorrow and Monday, parents, show your children the fountain of Engedi. In a rock 600 feet, there is a spring of water going from the top of that rock down. And because of this constant flowing water from the rock, it makes all the land fertile. And it's filled with blooming trees and plants and vineyards. Even to this day, there's lots of spas in Engedi. And this picture is simply saying to, to us that my beloved is so abundant, he satisfies me. 
He's like in Gedi, where it's overflowing with water, there's vineyards and blooming plants. Because in Christ there is such abundance, he satisfies the soul. Think about this person. In him is the fullness of the Godhead dwelling bodily. So all the power, the strength, the grace, the love, the attributes, the perfections of the divine being are in Christ Jesus. Therefore he can satisfy us. Think about his atonement. Hebrews 10.14 By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He's not like these earthly priests. Morning sacrifice, evening sacrifice, morning night sacrifice, evening sacrifice, weekly sacrifices, monthly, year on year, generation, generation, millennium, millennium, and cannot perfect a single soul. He's not like the false Jesus of Roman Catholicism, where he does so much, but at the end of the day, you still need to atone for temporal sins. But the Christ of the Bible says, by one offering, I perfect. There is no sin in your arsenal that can overcome the perfect cross. Because when your sin abounds, grace does hyperbole abound over because of the perfection of the cross. Think of all the fullness that's in him. John 1.16 Of his fullness we receive grace upon grace. You can never lack grace in the Christian life. You might feel you do, you might think you do, but you're wrong. Not out of his mostness, but out of his fullness. What's that fullness? Infinite. Boundless, incomprehensible. You can go to those massive sequoias in California and you can wrap all your arms around them, but your arms will never go around the sequoia. And so we can put all our, our, our arms around Christ, but our arms will never go around Christ. And therefore, as grace, on grace upon grace for your soul. How many spiritual blessings do you receive in him? Ephesians 1.3 Every spiritual blessing. Nothing's lacking. Nothing's left behind. Nothing's saying, mm, I'll, I'll keep this. Every spiritual blessing that's possible is yours in Christ. And therefore, brother and sister in Jesus Christ, you confess, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. No lack. What do you need? Do you need a righteousness to stand before God? He is Jehovah Sikenu. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Do you need peace? Are you troubled? Are you anxious? My peace I give unto you. 
Not the world's peace, but my peace I give unto you. Therefore let your hearts not be troubled nor afraid. You're tired. You're tired. You're the end of the terror. You just feel like giving up. Come. Come unto me, all ye who labour and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest for your soul. Are you fragile? Do you think like that you're just going to break? A bruised reed he shall not break. And a smoking flax he shall not quench. Do you feel weak? You just don't have the strength anymore. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm sad. I'm miserable. John 15. These things I've said unto you so that my joy would be in you and your joy may be full. Because he is abundant and perfect, he satisfies your soul. Psalm 36, 8. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Everything you need is fulfilled in Christ. Do you remember Peter? When he saw Jesus Christ walking in water, Oh, what faith he had. He jumped off the boat and he could walk in water. When did he begin to sink? When he took his eyes off Christ. He looked at the wind and the waves and the storm and he started to sink. When our worship grows cold, we've taken our eyes off Christ. But when we keep our eyes on him, we walk on water. Our hearts are Filled with faith, love, joy, peace, rest, happiness, and adoration and admiration for the King of Glory. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep thy heart with all diligence for outer of all the issues of life. Protect your mind, protect your soul. Preach the gospel to yourselves every single morning. Do not go to work. Do not start your day without filling your mind with something of the excellency of Christ. Do not assume him, but come to him in tangible, conscious, faith, ways, so that he is present. And go out your day, the whole day, with him in mind. And when you come to Bible reading and prayer and fellowship and the family altar and public worship, come filling your heart with scripture so that you are in your soul ready to adore him and fellowship with him in love. Let us pray.